Thanks so much for listening to the weekly teaching podcast from Prodigal Church. We're so glad you're connecting with us online. If you've been listening for a while or you consider Prodigal as your home church, would you consider giving monthly to support this ministry? We're so grateful for the increasing impact our church is having on our online listeners. Thanks for being a part of us. You can discover all things Prodigal on the Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store or on our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com. Now. Christians are the worst. The condemnation of culture, a lack of care for the poor. Judgmental, bigoted, homophobic, elitist, and hypocrite. That's what the world thinks of Christians. Mahatma Gandhi famously said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He is not alone. The problem facing so many non-Christians isn't that they don't know any Christians. The problem is they do. Many Christians will tell you that we've got an image problem, okay? But it's because we're being treated unfairly. We're being persecuted. We're being badly misunderstood. I am not one of those Christians. I don't think that the Christians have an image problem. I think we have an integrity problem. And today, as we introduce this new sermon series, I'm gonna share some startling figures, some troubling graphs, some disturbing trends. And I think it's important for us to understand the lay of the land, okay? We're not in Kansas anymore. But it's not all bad news, because where we as followers of Jesus have gotten off track, the Spirit moves us to course correct, moving toward the way of love. Okay, are you ready for week one of Big Reputation? We love Taylor Swift in our house. Okay, our kids know most of her songs. So are we doing this sermon series because we have a big reputation issue in the church or because we love Taylor Swift? The answer is yes. Okay, here's some graphs for you. 80% of practicing Christians have a positive view of the church, okay, that's good. Only 21% of non-Christians think of the church in a positive way. Okay, I think it's great that 80% of the people who go to church have a positive view about it, okay, that's the way it should be, but the problem is that only one in five non-Christians see us that way. Number two, uh, for the first time in United States history, more people don't attend a weekly religious service than do, okay? First time, in U.S. history. It's a big deal. Uh, Number three, over the past two decades, the number of Americans who don't identify with any religion has grown from 8% in 1998 to 13% in 2008 and 21% over the past three years. Experts believe that these trends are not related to the pandemic, but rather the pandemic shed a brighter light on this decline. Now, the next one hurts, okay? On a scale of one to 100, thousands were asked to rate the honesty and ethical standards of people of a specific profession, okay? Nurses led the way with 89% saying that they had a high honesty and good standards. Medical doctors came in at second at 77%, 
elementary school teachers aren't far behind at 75%. Anybody want to guess where clergy ranked? Okay. Where did religious leaders rank? 39%. So along with a negative view of Christians uh, declining attendance, there's a huge distrust of religious leaders. It seems to me like we've got a big reputation. Now, I am going to do that kind of throughout the sermon series, all right? Okay, we're going to always bring back T-Swift. Why is this our reputation? How did we go wrong? Now, there are a plethora of reasons, um, and we're certainly not going to cover them all in a three-week sermon series. But today, we're going to start with DC Talk. If you were a Christian in the early 1990s, you knew who DC Talk was. They were the preeminent Christian rock band, but they weren't just rock. No, 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 no. They rapped as well. And in 1995, DC Talk's album, Jesus Freak, it featured a quote from Brennan Manning. In the song, What If I Stumble, it opens with this crackly voiceover. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Today, for week one of Big Reputation, let's talk about hypocrisy. Okay? The, the word for hypocrite comes from the Greek word Hippocrates. It means an actor or a stage player, one who wears a mask. Okay? It literally translates as an interpreter from underneath, which reflects that ancient Greek actors wore masks. The actor spoke from underneath the mask. In Greek theater, they didn't have a full cast, so actors had to play multiple roles by wearing a mask. And a hypocrite is someone who wears masks. They're not the same all the time. And in the Bible, it's used 20 times. 18 of them are by Jesus himself. Uh, it's Jesus' favorite word to rebuke religious people. Now, if you were to go to River Park or Fig Garden after church today, and you were to chat with people who aren't Christians, and you ask them, hey, what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? I promise you, hypocrite will be at the top of the list. Now, judgmental will be there too, but more on that in weeks to come. When I was 19 years old, I was a part of a Christian comedy team called Uncoordinated. We would perform comedy sketches at local high schools and uh, churches, kind of up and down the Central Valley. And some of it was improv. Okay, think whose line is it anyway, but like a million times less funny. And we would do Christian skits that would have some kind of a moral. And at the end, we'd give the gospel. And one of the skits was about a character whose first name was Luke and his last name was Warm. Okay, Luke Warm. And Luke would have a bottle of water. Okay, and he would take a sip. And then someone would say something like, you know, I went to the theater the other day and I saw the movie Liar, Liar. <clears throat> Luke would spit it out right in the guy's face. And he would say something like, liar, liar? With that sinner, Jim Carrey? And you're supposed to be a Christian? You're the liar, liar. And guess what? Your pants will be on fire in hell. Okay? I think you can guess which character I played in this skit. And so anyway, the skit ended 
with Luke being this giant hypocrite, okay? Someone would then say his full name, Luke Warm, and then they would read this passage of scripture from the book of Revelation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one of the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, this is a passage that I think many of us are familiar with. Okay, first, I think let's clear up some misconceptions. Whenever I heard a message on this passage, hot always referred to people who were on fire for God, and then cold always to those who kind of give God the cold shoulder, those who don't really give a rip about him. So it's better to be one of those than to be lukewarm. And that being lukewarm is to be mediocre, half-hearted in your Christian faith. Is anybody else familiar with this line of interpretation of this passage of scripture? Okay, now is that what the passage of scripture is saying? Maybe, but probably not, okay? I don't think that's what's going on here. Okay, this letter in Revelation was written to a specific city, a specific church in a certain city. The city was called Laodicea. And Laodicea was one of three sister cities in the region of Phrygia. The other two cities are Colossae and Aeropolis. And Laodicea had a lot of things going for it. But one thing it had was a water problem, okay? Uh, waters from their neighbors, Aeropolis, which was hot and medicinal, and Colossae, which was cold and life-giving, the people of Laodicea thought that they'd be able to solve their problems themselves. So they built a very advanced aqueduct system. They piped in water from their neighboring towns, Aeropolis and Colossae. And by the time the water arrived to Laodicea, it was lukewarm, spoiled with impure minerals. And if left sitting there, it cultivated bacterial growth that often caused people to have diarrhea and vomiting. Travelers to Laodicea often wrote that once they took a drink of water, it made them nauseous. If the water had been hot, like it was in Aeropolis, or cold, like it was in Colossae, it would have been good and useful. But as it was, the water was tepid, disgusting, and useless. Just like the so-called Christians of Laodicea had become. Hot and cold were both good and desirable things. That's why Jesus says, I wish you were one or the other. The point here is hot water is useful for healing and could heal people. It had medicinal properties. Cold water was refreshing and life-giving. The water in Laodicea was neither. The point is not be a good Christian on fire for God or be a cold-hearted unbeliever. No, the point is usefulness. Do we have a big reputation for being useful, for being refreshing, for being life-giving? When looking at the hypocrisy of Christians, Shouldn't we look at ourselves? Because it's always easy to say, oh yeah, those people, those Christians, they're judgmental, they're hypocritical. It's a lot harder for us to say, I'm judgmental, I'm hypocritical. And so I'm just going to ask the question, and the question is for me too. Is your faith in Jesus healing and life-giving to people around you? Is it refreshing? Or is it rather warm, Luke? warm. 
When I was in college, I used to stay up late with friends. And I'd get home like at 3 a.m. And then wake up at 6 and it was no big deal, okay? But while I was driving home in the middle of the night, I'd get hungry. And so when I'm hungry and I'm tired, I get a little irritable. So while I'm driving, I'm on the lookout for one of these signs, okay? Open 24 hours. I don't care what the food is as long as it's open. And I remember seeing a sign pulling up to a Carl's Jr. drive-thru that was 24 hours. And I said, I'll have a double Western bacon cheeseburger and a diet Dr. Pepper. Yeah, I said diet, okay? You gotta cut back somewhere, okay? There's no response on the other end. So I pull up all the way to the window, the second drive-thru window, because the first one's always closed. And I go, uh, excuse me. Um, and then he goes, oh, we're closed. And it was like I woke the guy up. And I said, the sign says 24 hours. And then he had the audacity to say to me, it's just a sign, sir. Just a sign? Just a sign? Is that us in our Christian life? Is that you? We're Christians, we go to church, we have the outward appearance, but it's just a sign. It's not real. It doesn't actually mean anything. I once heard that the most powerful question in all of theology is, so what? You're a Christian, so what? You believe that Jesus saves, so what? What does that do in your life? You believe in the resurrection, so what? How are you different? How do you live differently? How do you love differently? So what? The issue of hypocrisy is killing our witness to the world. The greatest enemy of Christianity isn't secularism, atheism, or Islam. The greatest enemy of, to Christianity is bad Christianity. And we've got it in spades. More than once in the Bible, when Israel continued religious traditions, forgot the heart of it all. He told them all kinds of things. Check this out in the book of Amos chapter 5. God says to the people of Israel, to the religious leaders, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. I can't stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, even though you sacrifice, I'm not going to accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, though you bring me your best, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. If your Bible reading isn't making you more Christ-like and loving and merciful, then you're reading it wrong. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Every single one of us has been affected by the hypocrisy of Christians. We've got stories, okay? Stories of hurt, stories of church hurt, and I'm grateful that Prodigal Church has been a place of healing for lots of people who have been burned by the church. Unfortunately, it's a phrase that I hear a lot. Man, I was, I was at this church and I was burned by the church, or I've been hurt by the church. And I know what they're getting at, but the statement itself is not true. The church cannot burn people. The church cannot hurt people. People hurt people. It is not the institution. When someone tells me I was burned by the church, my next question is always, what was his name? What was her name? Who was the person or the people that hurt you? And to move forward, I just think, I think it's important to recognize and make that distinction. 
And even now, I know that this is a very sensitive issue for some of you. All kinds of pain and bad memories are, are, are rising up within you. But God was with you then, and God is with you now. Even as you acknowledge, even silently, the names of those who hurt you. Of those who should have known better. So I just kind of want to acknowledge from the outset Some of us, maybe even all of us, have suffered from people who are Christians, but they did not behave like Christ. That is real. That pain is there. And for some of you, it's a miracle that you're even listening right now, that you're watching church today. Okay, the strength, the faith, the perseverance that it took for you to overcome what those Christians had done or said and to remain committed to Jesus, to come back to Jesus after a horrendous experience with his followers, that's the stuff of miracles, okay? And you deserve applause and so much more. Only Jesus can bring healing from that kind of pain. But often, Jesus uses mental health professionals in the healing process. If you deal with past hurt and pain, or if you deal with anxiety or worry or depression, all answers begin and end with Jesus. But in between, there are doctors, there are therapists, there are counselors, there are recovery groups that will help you get some help. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame in having internal struggles. There's no shame in saying, I'm not okay. Time doesn't heal all wounds. In fact, if you're not careful, time will have the opposite effect. Time will not heal you. Time will harden you. Time is a factor in the healing process, but a clock or a day on the calendar cannot do for you what Jesus wants to do in you and he wants to partner with you in the healing process. Jesus wants to heal you of the pain caused by his own followers. And he wants to heal me from that pain too. Sarah and I have had our fair share of hurts and suffering at the words of Christians not living up to their name. And we have to acknowledge that disconnect. We have to acknowledge that, that those people or that church or those type of Christians aren't the totality of the Christian experience. And even they are wounded and hurt and weren't living their best life, right? Because hurt people hurt people. God loves you, but God loves them too. So what do we do with this? What do we do about our big reputation? The right response isn't better PR, public relations. The best response is life change. The right response isn't getting mad at non-Christians who don't see the better side of the church or the potential of the church. I think one of the most important things that church leaders and individual Christians can do is to be the opposite of what non-Christians would expect us to be. And fortunately for us Christians, the opposite of what most people expect is pretty much what Jesus modeled. It's what Jesus embodied. The cure for the problem of hypocrisy is to embrace more of what we're supposed to authentically be. Loving, compassionate, kind, gracious, curious, open-minded, embracing, genuine. Living out an ethic of love is a great place to start. I'll close with a story that I have shared before. There was an old Mennonite pastor preaching his last days in his church. 
And this pastor had lived, okay? He'd lived through pain, he'd lived through suffering, and he lived through wars. And being a part of a peace church, he held the conviction that violence was never the right response for the Christ follower. And so when these believers were drafted to go into war, they became conscientious objectors. Serving in the military was against their commitment to nonviolence. So they were given other ways to serve their country. The government was like, oh, you don't use violence? Okay, well, I mean, we'll see about that. And so then these believers were to serve as orderlies in hospitals of the severely mentally ill. They were once called insane asylums. And back then there was little known about mental illness, their sickness. And so when the patients would lash out in violence, the orderlies would have to use violence to get them back in line. In essence, the government was saying, oh, you don't use violence? Well, sometimes it's necessary and you're gonna find out. So all over the country, these, these Christians who focused on peace, pacifism, nonviolence, they, they focused on the nonviolent teaching and example of Jesus. They were put in these asylums all over the country in the midst of daily violence. And they were attacked by the patients over and over again, violently. And yet they did not retaliate. They did not respond to violence with violence. Instead, they took it and they loved them all the more. They took it and they served the ones who had wounded them. They loved them. And you know what happened? The patients began to change. The, the patients began to grow and learn. The patients began to choose love over violence. And these conscientious objectors were the beginning of bringing changes about to how the medical world treats the mentally ill. And so one of these Christians eventually becomes a pastor of a small church and he serves his ch church well for all of his days. And he's speaking one of his final sermons in his old age. And he is recounting his life story, the sacrifices he has made, the suffering he has endured, the work of the kingdom that he has done and his conviction to the nonviolent crucified King Jesus. And near the end of his sermon, he said this, I just think that when Jesus said that we should love our enemies, I think that means we shouldn't kill them but I could be wrong, but I could be wrong. This guy has lived his life with such conviction, such fervor, such faith to great physical cost to himself. And near the end of his days, he humbly says, I could be wrong. He was so committed to the way of nonviolence that even the way he held his beliefs was nonviolent. He held his beliefs in a Christ-like way. The way that we hold our beliefs and share our beliefs to the world should be Christ-like. And I could be wrong posture will lead us to Christ-like humility. And that will draw more people to Jesus. Way more than our arrogance, our certainty, and our arguments. If we simply lived our lives committed to Jesus in humility, not having all the answers, not having it all together, and doing our best to love God and to love others through the Spirit's leading, we'll have a better reputation. 
God, I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit moves us to course correct. God, help us not to be known for what we are against, but what we are for. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online here at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is week two of our big reputation series, and we can't wait. We hope you have an amazing week. Grace and peace throughout our world. Thank <laughs> you.